When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Saying episode three three six with Ken Moffat. We're talking. Continue. Um, as I taught this Exodus class uh, two three years ago at our church, and I was um, as I was preparing for it, it was just I was just fascinated by it. Not not just because when you take the biblical narrative beginning with Exodus and going through the departing of the Red Sea, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but as somebody who um, has a, a bachelor's degree in history, one of the things that we were always taught from San Jose State University in California, by the way, um, go Spartans, uh, Midwestern champions too, uh, Rocky Mountain uh, division champions this year. Anyway, um, finally we won something. But as we were always taught from our history professors that you, you want to know the backstory. It's not enough just to know that December 7th, 1941, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. You know, Hirohito yeah. didn't wake up one morning and say, say, well, let's just go bomb Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Oh, okay, guys, go do it. Yeah. What led to that? Yeah. And so as I was preparing for this um, and digging and digging and digging, it, it to me, it was kind of like when we did the story on Firebase Kate. Mm -hmm. There is so much more to it than the five-day siege. The backstory is phenomenal. And when I got into this and began researching everything, I was just blown away how interesting i mean truly truly interesting this is and uh, you know i don't take anything away from cecil b demille and his movie with charlton heston the ten commandments and, and they did an okay thing but they they got a lot of the major players wrong the pharaohs and so on and so forth um but but that was based on the evidence that they had when he made the movie back in 56 i guess it was mm -hmm. egyptology and archaeology uh, today is so light years beyond yeah. where Cecil B. DeMille was that we've actually been able to narrow down who these unnamed pharaohs are from the book of Exodus. And it's just, um, and when you when we get into that part, we probably won't get into it today, a little tease there, um, it's interesting to see the relationship between Moses and the Pharaoh and, and who the woman is, the Pharaoh's daughter that drew him out of the, the Nile River and all that. And it's there's a lot of intrigue here. There's, there's a reason why the story has made it for 2,000 years, right? That's right. There's That's a, right. There's a good reason. if the, if the When you hear a story from a friend of a friend of a friend about some crazy night at the bar, it's because it's a good story, Right. If this That's one, true. if this one's trickled through the generations like water down rocks, like yeah, there's a reason it's good. So let's get into it. All right. This is uh, well, for everybody listening. Sorry for everybody listening. This is going to be less of a. Um, <clears throat> this is going to be less of a me running my stupid mouth, and I'm going to be more of the the student. And this is going to be Ken Cast. Oh, no. But I, I encourage you to ask the questions because when you ask the question, it draws out other aspects of, you know, my copious notes here and so on. Um, oh, yeah, that reminds me of this. And I want to get into that part. But um, I think, as I indicated, the, the, the best way to start something like this is 
first of all, how did the Hebrews get to Egypt? What made them go to Egypt? And if we're going to start that, then you have to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 10, where Abraham, who was the father of the Hebrew nation, first went down to Egypt um, because there was a famine in the land and he dwelt there for a little while and he got himself into a bit of a pickle by um, telling the Pharaoh that his wife was actually his sister because he was afraid that uh, she was a beautiful woman. He wasn't afraid of that, but that Pharaoh would want her if he knew the relationship was husband wife, I get killed, he takes you. So I'll tell you what, Sarah, you tell Pharaoh that you're my sister. Well, it's a half truth because she was his half sister. But in the ancient world, they that okay. They actually often married into the clan, mm-hmm. um, familial ties and so on. So Pharaoh finds out, he kicks Moses, I'm sorry, he kicks Abraham out and they trickle back up into the land of Canaan. A couple chapters later in chapter 15, verse 13 of uh, Genesis, this is where God tells Abraham the promise that I will give to you, your descendants, all of these lands and that they're going to be enslaved that they're going to uh, be suffering and oppression and so on, but that I will eventually free them and they will be my people. And so that's the first glimpse that we see of the Hebrew people down in Egypt. Now, throughout the course of this, I'll be using the term Hebrew instead of Jew. And the reason is that there's they're almost synonymous but the, the term Hebrew has two etymologies. One is from the ancient Egyptians who called them uh, sort of a, I don't necessarily think it was a pejorative, Habaru or Aparu. And when you say that, it becomes, Aparu becomes Hebrew, the term Hebrew. The other word that most Jewish people like to say is that the word Hebrew comes from um, the, the old language, meaning beyond the river. Now, the Hebrew people originally the gener- um, came from beyond the uh, Euphrates River down into what is now southern Iraq. They were Semitic people, and this is where they like to say Hebrew came from. It means beyond the river. And if you look in Joshua, the book of Joshua, he says, choose this day the God whom you shall serve, either the gods of your fathers beyond the river or our God, Yahweh. So this is where those two terms come from. But the term Jew once again, it's not a pejorative term unless you use it in a negative concept. Mm-hmm. Comes from in uh, 722, 721 BC, the nation of Israel, they had been established in Canaan. They, they were divided um, because after the death of Solomon, his son, um, Rehoboam, was a little bit heavy-handed with taxes and some other issues and so some of the israelites just formed their own kingdom and they were known as the 10 northern tribes and they were under jeroboam well subsequently they just fell into deep idolatry and, and idol worship and so on and god sent the prophet isaiah and he said unless you straighten up I'm going to uh, put it into you. Yeah. Um, I am the God that you worship, not these stone idols. They didn't listen. 
So in 722, 721 BC, God sent the Assyrian Empire under the leadership of Shalmanster V and then Sargon II, the kings, to do the mop up and the 10 northern tribes were no more. The only two tribes left out of the 12 tribes were Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin was such a small little tribe that it was just essentially absorbed into Judah. Over the course of time, Judah became Jews. So that's where the term comes from. And it's not a negative term. It's just short for Judah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so that's how the Hebrews, um, the difference between a Hebrew and a Jew is is essentially the, the Old Testament as opposed to the New Testament. Mm -hmm. But Hebrew and Jew, they're all, it's pretty much all the same. Mm -hmm. So where do we go from there? Where we go from here is it's interesting. Okay, fine. How did they wind up in Egypt? Yeah. And that's the, 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 the genesis, if you will, of the story. Mm -hmm. um, Joseph, who was the favorite son of Jacob, yeah. who was the patriarch of the Israel nation. Mm -hmm. um, well, it comes from Abraham, Isaac, and then down to Jacob, the third generation. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And that's where that name comes from. It means God wrestles with, or one who wrestles with God, who struggles with God. Because Jacob had all sorts of issues that um, he had to deal with. And God was constantly trying to straighten him out. And But God was faithful to his promise that um, through Abraham, all seeds would be blessed, all nations would be blessed. And that Jacob would become the patriarch of the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. So he's got these 12 sons and uh, 10 of the sons, they're okay, but they're boys, boys will be boys. And Joseph is his favorite because he was born to his favorite wife, Rachel. And then after Joseph was born, the, his younger brother, Benjamin was born and Rachel dies very soon after Benjamin is born. And Joseph is heartstruck because that was his favorite wife. I mean, I'm sure that he loved Leah and then so on, but Rachel was, Rachel was his one. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph um, was his favorite son. He doted on Joseph and um, you sure, I'm sure you're familiar with the, the story about Joseph and the coat of many colors. Well, I was going to say, I know the Joseph, right. He's the, he had the dream about the crops, correct? That's correct. Okay. I don't, I don't recall the, the coat of many colors. Well, the coat of many colors was a coat that um, Joseph made for Jacob. I'm sorry, Jacob made for Joseph. And in the ancient world, it was considered a, a, an honor because most of the coats and things and so on were just sort of a drab uh, gray, or if he had the money, they would be white and so on. But this was a multicolored coat, which indicated a position of uh, prominence or a position of authority within a clan or something like this. So Jacob makes his coat for Joseph, his favorite son. The other sons are outraged that he's younger so how does he have preeminence over us? We're the older of, and it went uh, chronologically, the oldest son on down. So the uh, 10 older brothers are out in the field tending the flock and so on and so forth. 
Joseph goes out and just to check on him because uh, Jacob asked him to ask him to. And they say, okay, here comes Joseph. And, uh, you know, he thinks he's better than us and so on and so forth. I got an idea. Let's, let's get rid of him. Mm -hmm. Let's kill him. Yeah. And um, so Judah, one of the brothers says, I got a better idea. How about if we just throw him down the cistern and we don't kill him? Well, okay, fine. So they throw him down the cistern to get rid of him and a uh, Midian caravan comes through. The Midianites come through in a caravan. They eventually sell Joseph into slavery for 20, 20 shekels of silver. They take him to Egypt. And that's where he goes. At 17 years old, he is now down in Egypt. And this is where the story gets really interesting. And uh, when you're doing the historical research into this, you have to realize that um, this is where the Egyptians and the Semitic peoples are going to clash. Because the Egyptians are not Semitic. Hebrews are Semitic. Um, the other people that came down into what is called Lower Egypt, and that is around the Nile Delta, because Egypt, the Nile runs, the only river in the world that runs from north, I'm sorry, from south to north. And the reason it does this is because of where the, the Genesis, the headwaters of the Nile are, are in the mountains of the other countries of, of Africa, Uganda, and so on. And it runs down to the Mediterranean and empties into the Mediterranean. If it ran the other way, it would all be salt. Mm -hmm. But as it floods um, during the springtime, the areas around the Nile are some of the most fertile in the world. As a matter of fact, in the ancient world, up until the time of the Romans, when they occupied uh, Egypt, uh, Egypt was known as the world's breadbasket because they grew so much rain, uh, grain that they could actually uh, export yeah. it. Yeah. So here we have Joseph down in Egypt. He's been sold. now. At this time in Egyptian history, it's called the intermediate period. We have the old kingdom, the intermediate period, and then eventually the new kingdom. And we'll get into that in a couple of weeks, the 18th dynasty of the new kingdom. This intermediate period, Egypt was going through a state of flux. The uh, inter, uh, internal turmoil, the, the culture was falling apart and so on. A group of individuals also Semitic, who were known eventually became known as the Hyksos, which is a Greek word that means foreign ruler. They came in from what is known as the Levant or the Fertile mm -hmm. Crescent, which is Mesopotamia and so on, northern Syria. And so they're kind of like cousins uh, to Joseph and his family. They're all Semitic peoples. They came down and, and as they migrated into the Nile Delta area, of Egypt, which is known as Lower Egypt, they became very numerous. Now, they in all likelihood went down there because of a famine. Famines were common in the ancient world. So they go down there and eventually um, they become so numerous that they're able to take over this region of Egypt, kind of like some American cities that you go to Los Angeles and some cities like that, there's whole set California, there's whole sections where Mexicans just run the whole show. Yeah, like yeah, Cuba or Miami and Cuba, yeah. right? You, you'd say Boston and Irish people, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. 
Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> you, you are correct. Yeah. Uh, so you get the picture on that. So the Hyksos come in, the foreign rulers come in, these Semitic people, and they set up their own government. But they adopt many of the cultures of the Egyptian people, including the term Pharaoh. So here you have these foreign rulers and the, the native Egyptians are pretty much uh, driven south. And the, the uh, native Egyptians had their own Pharaoh, their own government in the um, what would be called the southern part of um, Egypt. Their capital city was Memphis. Mm-hmm. And they um, were pretty much at odds. They did, there was no out and out warfare. But during this period, um, Joseph is uh, wrongly accused of trying to um, force himself on this individual named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is probably an office within the Hyksos government. Um, some people, um, some scholars think it was the like the commander of the guard or something along these lines. At any rate, his wife uh, took a shine to Joseph and um, because Joseph was assigned to be a slave in the house. And Joseph said, no, I can't do that. It's a violation of my relationship with Yahweh, my God. And, um, you know, she said, well, I'm not concerned about that. This is what you're going to do. My husband's old. You're young. You get the picture. And so uh, he says, I'm not doing it. And he flees the house, whatever. And as he's leaving, she grabs his coat. and He leaves naked. Um Next thing you know, Potiphar comes home and what's going on? Well, you know, that young uh, Hebrew boy that you brought to the house, this is what he tried to do. Joseph winds up in prison. It's while he's in prison that he interprets the dream that Pharaoh has that um, these other two people, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, have these dreams. And Joseph tells them what the, what the dream is going to be. It's bad news for the baker. You're going to be hung. The cupbearer, you're going to be reinstored. So it happens. And Joseph's like, hey, cupbearer, on your way out of here, remember me when yeah. you get to Pharaoh? And he said, got it, Joseph. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Remember you're me right. when you're famous. He's kind of, you know, That's right. throw That's some right. money my way. What, what's your name again? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Holler at so me. <laughs> he, he gets to uh, Pharaoh. He gets to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh has his dream. And Pharaoh can't interpret it, so he calls his magicians in. And what was interesting about the ancient world, and we also saw this with Nebuchadnezzar um, many, many, many years later, that um, the magicians would say, okay, you tell me what the dream was, and I'll tell you what, uh, I'll I'll tell you the interpretation. He goes, no, you tell me what the dream was. They couldn't do it. So at this time, the cupbearer says, you know what? I know this young Hebrew guy back in the prison. He was able to interpret my dream, and I didn't tell him what the dream was. Pharaoh calls him in. He interprets the dream. One thing leads to the next. And the dream is about the seven years of fat Uh and the seven years of plenty, the cattle and so on. Joseph says, this is what this means, that you guys are going to be have all the grain you can imagine for seven years, and then you're going into seven years of drought. And Pharaoh's like, really? And he makes Joseph what was called the vizier or the number two in Egypt. That's how Joseph becomes a prominent player in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Now, he this is still the Hyksos. These are not native Egyptians. Sometime later, um, there's another drought. 
And Joseph's brothers, the one that sold him to be into slavery, they trickle down into Egypt. Now, they don't realize who they're dealing with, but Joseph recognizes them because they think Joseph is languishing in some slave pot or something mm-hmm. uh, that they sold him, in, sold him into. And here he is, the number two guy in Egypt. They have no clue who he is, but he recognizes them. One thing leads to the next, and he desperately wants to see his younger brother, Benjamin. And um, they buy the grain, they go back, and he tricks them to keep coming back. And finally, he says, uh, he elicits from them about their family, about his dad, because he wants to know about Jacob, but they don't know that that it's, it's his son. And so they tell him, yeah, we have brothers. We have a younger brother, Benjamin, and we have my dad, Jacob, blah, blah, blah. So he arranges, eventually, he tricks them into all of them coming back. And once they get back, he reveals himself as their brother. Mm-hmm. And they, they can't believe it. So now the whole family is there. Then Jacob comes down, and he Jacob is just elated that Joseph is alive. So now all of the brothers are here. Jacob is here. Jacob is a wealthy man, so his entire um, ensemble and everybody is down there with him, his herds and so on and so forth. And Pharaoh tells them, you have done such a wonderful job that I will give you the choice land, which is the land of Goshen, which is in the eastern Nile Delta. And I mean, you can see commercials today that that's where um, some of the best farmland in Egypt is. MyPillow.com guys. This is where our cotton comes from. Yeah, the geezer sheets. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. hear those ads everywhere. Yeah. That's exactly correct. (laughs) So that's how originally the Hebrews and the other Semitic peoples got into Egypt. Um, It wasn't an armed rebellion or armed takeover. It was just through mass migration that they, here we are. So eventually, um, Joseph died. Jacob dies. They take him back to Canaan. He is buried. Joseph dies at 110 years old. He spent 93 years in Egypt. And now all of his brothers are dead because they were actually older. So, but now their children and children and grandchildren, great grandchildren, have multiplied to the point where the native Egyptians decide we need to do something about this. And it's at that point in the story that we see in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8 that there arose a new king who knew not Joseph. Now, by that term, it wasn't like they'd never been introduced. It was the simple meaning that um, he was the king of, of the, the southern or, or the northern part of uh, Egypt. And he didn't know anything about Jacob's ruling workings and so on, setting up all these granaries and so on and so forth. But they hated the Hyksos. They hated the Semitic people to the point of just blind hatred. Mm -hmm. Now, can we fast forward to 2021 and think of blind hatred, hating people to the point where we'll persecute them regardless just for their thoughts? Hmm. Did we not just have a presidential election where this (laughs) is in? I hate to bring politics into it. So many similarities. Uh, It keeps repeating itself. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. No, it's it's, it's important to look. I mean could even look at you could say in the middle east you know you'd be like oh it's the future we're so progressed and it's like but we still see like israel and pakistan and it's like dude they're just at it they're just as much at each other's throats as they were five thousand years ago 
And I have a, I have a feeling they always will be. And they probably always will be. It kind of just seems like that's the way it goes. Yeah. Right? That's the way it goes. But yeah. So this uh, pharaoh by the name of Amos, A-H-M-O-S-E, he takes power, uh, the native Egyptians, and he says, I'm driving those Hyksos out of town. So he does. He drives them out. And during this war with the Hyksos, either those that were not captured or killed fled to southern Canaan, which is now southern Israel, or back to the Levant and so on. Those that were unfortunately remained became oppressed. And those were the slaves that scripture talks about. And this is the, the, uh, the promise that where God makes to Abraham in Genesis 15, chapter 13, that your children and your descendants will be enslaved by a people for 400 years. And I will bring uh, punishment upon those people. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how they got down there. In, into um, into Egypt. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say no. It's a, it's a it's a good thing you brought that up. Um, how did they get there? Because I mean, even I remember just you know going to Catholic school and high school. You always learned about it. But yeah, I guess you know it's like it's like in physics, and you learn. You're like you know. Well, then the planets formed and the stars formed, and you keep going backwards, and eventually it's like. Well, how did everything get here? And it goes to the Big Bang, and then you're just like, wait, what? So it kind of makes, you know, you kind of do have to go into that because otherwise you just, at least in my memories, just growing up, it's like the Jews were in Egypt, and then and you just kind of you just kind of take it and run with it. You're like, of course, they were in Egypt, but no one, it's like, well, 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 hold up, like, take a step back. What happened? Why, why yeah. So, yeah. How did they get here? And uh, it's important to know how they got there because it fulfills what God told Abraham back in Genesis chapter 15. Mm-hmm. All of this came to pass exactly as God came uh, said that. So we fast forward a little bit that Amos, Pharaoh Amos impresses uh, these people with uh, harsh labor and so on and so forth. And um, he has a son and his name is the I. And Tutmos the first has no male children. Now you got to understand something about ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt was a little bit different than the other ancient cultures. The um, succession succession in the um, kingdom ran from father to son to son to grant you know all the way down. If you are the father, you have a son. He has a son. That's how it went. In ancient Egypt, it was matrilineal. Matrilineal. It went from mother through the son. Now, the the royal mother has a son, then he's eligible. But if they don't have a son, then where do we get the next boy to be? Well, so the I has no male children. They have a daughter, and that daughter's name is Hatshepsut, H-A-T-S-H-E-P-S-U-T, like a hat, a shepherd, and soot on your fingers from the fireplace, Hatshepsut. So he has no male son. So what am I going to do about this? Because we certainly can't have a female pharaoh. So he's got, hey, you know what? I got a whole harem out there. I'm going to go check one of those chicks out. So he goes out there and they have a son. And this son, his name is Tutmos II. So he's now the half brother of Hatshepsut. So Pharaoh uh, Tutmos I thinks, you know what? 
this will be a good idea. I, I got to get a boy out of this deal. I'm going to have Hatshepsut marry her half brother, Tutmos II. They'll have children, and I'll get a son out of the deal because Hatshepsut is a royal daughter. Mm -hmm. So if she has a son, that's part of the royal lineage. Well, they don't have a son, they have a daughter, and that daughter dies. So what does Tutmos II do? Same thing his father did. You know, I got to hear him out here. I'm gonna go. <laughs> and they actually have a son, um, Tutmos II, and one of his concubines out here, they have a son. That's Tutmos III. Now just put him on the back burner here for a quick minute. In the meantime, what happens is um, that chips it discovers this basket floating in the Nile and she sends some of her uh, handmaidens, if you will, out to get the basket and they open it up, voila, there's a baby in it. Now, most scholars believe that she was probably about seven or eight years old when this happened, when she found the baby. So what does any seven or eight year old girl do with a little baby? Oh, I want him, I want him, I want him. So she takes Moses, she takes the baby turns out to be Moses and she names him Moses which is an Egyptian name meaning to be drawn out I've taken you out of the water you're drawn out Moses and it just so happens that that Moses's mother had sent his sister Miriam to keep an eye on the basket to make sure no alligators got it and or crocodiles actually I don't know what she's going to do if a crocodile did but at any rate and she goes up to the uh, young girl, had Shepsut, and says, oh, you know, I can, I know somebody that can nurse him. Okay, you take him and you have him nursed, and then when he's at the proper age, you bring him back. Well, in the ancient world, and, and I'm told in some parts of the uh, Arab cultures, this still happens, that male babies are nursed longer than female babies. So he was probably nursed up until about the time that he was four years old. So he's living with all of his Hebrew kinsmen up until about the time that he's four years old, at which time his mother takes him back gives him to Hatshepsut, who was probably now 13 or 14 years old. And in the ancient world, you're at marrying age at that because childbearing and the um, infant mortality and so on and so forth, they didn't live real long, neither did adults live real long. So they tended to marry very young. So here you have this 13 or 14 year old girl who was the royal daughter of the I. She's married to um, Tutmos II, he is sickly, he dies, but he's got this son over here, Tutmos III, by one of his concubines. So now it gets interesting because you've got Moses, who is the son of the royal daughter, making him what? Next in line mm -hmm. for Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. But you've got Tutmos III over here, it's like, wait a minute, my dad, on and on and on, this guy is not. So what does Hatshepsut do? She ships him off to the military because kind of like out of sight, out of mind, my son over here, Moses, I'm grooming him to become Pharaoh. So by, the Bible tells us in, in Acts 
that Moses was trained in all the ways of the Egyptian, the sciences, the language, the writing. He was learning to become a diplomat. He was learning all of the rituals, um, the spiritual rituals of, uh, of ancient Egypt. Very knowledgeable. And the scripture even describes him as, as learning all these things. And we're going to see that come into play later when the children of Israel get into the wilderness, his leadership ability and so on and so forth. So while this is unfolding um, and he is being, Moses is being trained to become Pharaoh, most of third is off with the military, learning military skills. He's like off at West Point and Moses is off at MIT or something. Yeah. Yeah. These things. So there's a little bit of conflict in here because the fact that uh, Hatshepsut was a female didn't really set well with a lot of the the court officials of the Egyptians. So they were like, you know, we're not sure about this, but she was a very strong personality, obviously strong enough that she could command her handmaidens at seven or eight years old, I want that child. Mm-hmm. And then you you take him, nurse him, bring him back to me. So, and, and obviously, uh, Tutmosis first, her father was like, eh, that's what she wants, that's what she wants. Okay, yeah, fine. Go for it, yeah. So here we are at, at, at this juncture, and it, it, the palace intrigue is going to get pretty interesting at this point between Tutmosis III, Moses, and Hatshepsut. So, so how how many of these things then, if it comes down to just him growing up and saying, "I, you know, I look at my dad," and if, what you said earlier, like, "My dad, hold on, wait a minute," and one gets shipped off to the military, and one gets groomed. How does it eventually all come out? Like, wh- where do the, the, I guess the, where do the, um, what word am I looking for? Contradictions. Where do they all start to run together? Well, the, and this is where it gets really interesting and, and the palace intrigue starts to play. Remember that Hatshepsut is now the step aunt of Tutmosis III mm-hmm. because it's her half brother that is the father of of Tutmos the third. So Moses now is the cousin of Tutmos the third. And so here you have cousins battling for um, jockeying for position Mm -hmm. within the royal hierarchy. And obviously, um, Hatshepsut is going to favor Moses as her adopted son. And she, there was really, um, from all of the research and everything, there's no love loss between Hatshepsut and Tutmos III. And that's another reason that she shipped him off, mm-hmm. just get him out of here. Mm-hmm. But as that happened, he found favor. He was very popular with the military. And unfortunately, in, in most cultures, those in the higher end of the military, they have a lot of sway. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, Hatshepsut was not an aggressive military commander. Um, she would rather trade uh, with individuals as, as opposed to go in there and start raiding people and, and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Hatshepsut um, actually was a, a pretty competent pharaoh, and um, Egypt did very well by her because they were not at war. They had you know their boundaries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But this is where. The sad part of it is she dies. Mm-hmm. Now, Egyptologists are conflicted whether or not she was murdered 
or just died of, of natural causes. I've seen uh, television specials where they said that she had a tooth infection. It became, uh, you know, the bacteria, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. Uh, and it's fascinating to see how they can tell all this stuff 2,000 years later with medical technology. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. How they can like recreate like, uh, like recreated King Tut, like what he would have looked like. Right. Cause he had like a club foot. He had a cleft yeah. lip, I think. And yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird how they can kind of, like, they can almost Jurassic Park. Right. They can almost <laughs> yeah. reconstruct it. Right. It's, it, it, it really, really is. Um, which which is great for those of us to study this yeah yeah because it's um it's really really fascinating to see um like like you mentioned king tut i've seen some reports that think that he may have died from malaria yeah yeah and yeah they well because like you said earlier the clans um inbreeding that's what they, they said a lot of these pharaohs had like illnesses related to inbreeding right just genetically malformed that's right. It that is exactly correct. Can can we rewind for a second? So sure. you know what what you picked up earlier, or what you noted earlier, and we spoke of the importance of it. Of you know not just the Jews leaving Egypt, but you know how the hell they get there. Do we do we know how baby Moses ended up in the river from the get go? Because again, it's we like we see him in the basket, we pick him up, and it's like, but like rewind did, did i did that go over my head did you say that no, no i didn't it's okay. a great question it's a great question um and i should have i should have alluded to that um my wife is corralling the cat in the background over here so well hey you know weren't cats were praised in egypt weren't, weren't they did they, they worship were, cats they, they did because they ate the mice and rats yeah. from the grain and so yeah, on very yeah, good yeah i have to thank my cat for uh injecting Making herself yeah 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 <laughs> Um, part of the decree from Amosa, uh, for almost the one that put them into bondage was that all the male, uh, children, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrew male children would be put to death. And so as they're going about and so on, uh, Moses's mother, and once again, this is divine intervention because this is all part of God's grand design, puts him in a basket ships him off from the Nile. So that's how he was saved from death and um, had ships who rescues him and so on and so forth. Okay. So, uh, but that is a good question because you have to figure out, okay, what would in the world would anybody be doing in a basket in the yeah. Nile? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's the, you know, it's the, there's the, you know, it's like there's, there's a chicken and it's like, well, where'd the chicken come from you know the egg and it's like well where the hell the egg come from but you, right so you kind of have to flesh it out so all right all right that's just kind of how my ocd mind works it kind of got to look at the loose ends or as a my uh one of my favorite authors roger williams says you got to make sure the uh the sheets are tucked in in a, in a story you got to make right no frayed edges you got to make sure the sheets are tucked in and to that's me up. that's what makes a good story or when learning history you got to know all about it i mean this is kind of an odd this is kind of an odd analogy to draw, but I mean, it's like I had on, uh, I think episode 190, I had on Norman Oler, who wrote the book Blitzed, and it's all about the drugs the Nazis used, specifically the high command. And learning about that book or reading that book made it, it tied more loose ends for World War II for me than I think the next 10 books combined. Because it's, you, you know, once you realize the, the psychopharmacology and the psychology of Hitler doing meth, you know, grandiosity, 
delusions, um, everything must be great. And then Goering, head of the Luftwaffe, being high on morphine and how everything had just this romantic, idyllic, poetic tint to it. And for example, Dunkirk. Uh, obviously, as we know, the Nazis were they are about to just slaughter them. And I think as the British High Command said, unless there is a miracle at Dunkirk, like we are finished. And then Goering goes to Hitler and says, you know, call off the tanks, call off the ground units. Like we're going to have a glorious air battle. This is going to be a victory for the Luftwaffe. Hitler, high on stimulants and amphetamines, looks Goering and goes, you know, that's a great idea. It'll be great propaganda. So, he, so there's there's stories from like the the tank commanders, and they're like they're like at the city limits, and they're like looking in, they're radioing back, they're like, let us finish it, let us go in the job, and they're like, no, 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 like hold off, like the Luftwaffe is coming, and as we know, there's a miracle at Dunkirk. But all that to be said, that was just from one book learning about the drug use of the Nazi high command, and one book like that can tuck in the edges of the story. You go. Oh, because otherwise you're like, why the hell did it hit? Why did he invade the Soviet Union in the winter? Why did and it was all? Oh, he he's on meth and he thinks he's invincible. And all of his high command are all high on their respective drugs. Some are right. these very romantic. We are going into battle. The others are you know they're grinding their teeth because they're on stimulants. But again, maybe not too odd of an analogy because we're talking about Hitler and the Jews. But like it's but it is it's something like that ties it all together and for me that all of a sudden it all just makes so much more sense because as you said you know it didn't just you know Hirohito didn't just wake up one day and say screw America right it's like Hitler didn't just say you know you know take over the Soviet Union and it's like there's this long narcotic build up and all of a sudden you go oh okay I get it so that's kind of where my mind comes in when it's like okay wait why was he in the river in the first place it's like, no, it, yeah. it's important because, as you said, you know, to use your phrase, tying the loose ends, if you don't know the backstory, the, the story that's presented to you makes absolutely no sense. And it, it's, it's, it's kind of like when you go into a trial. I mean, you just don't say, okay, fine, here's a defendant, is he guilty or innocent? Well, what's he here for? What did he How did he get here? Yeah. So on. He punched him. Well, like, what led up to this respected yeah. doctor punching someone? Right? Yeah. And then you hear it and you go, oh, okay, you know, I would probably do that too, you know. But, yeah. So to, to back to your question, okay, so Hatshepsut rescues him, she dies, and now you have this power play of source between Moses and Tutmose III, his cousin. And at this juncture, Scripture tells us that Moses went to visit his brethren. He kind of had this inkling, you know, this is uh, – God have a plan for me to maybe rescue these people. And it's while he's visiting his cousin, I'm sorry, he's visiting his brethren, that he sees the Egyptian mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews. Now, he's an Egyptian, but he is a Hebrew by birth. And it was at this point that Moses kills the Egyptian. And he's thinking, okay. I've been trained, groomed to become Pharaoh. I've just killed this guy. The penalty for a Hebrew striking an Egyptian is death. How's this going to play out? So he attempts to hide the body. It is uncovered, and um, we get into Exodus, and um, the scripture tells us that Tutmos III, his cousin, 
finds out who is now Pharaoh. He's wangled his way in, in all likelihood, because he had not only the support of the military, but he probably had the support of the high court officials. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, you know, Moses, you're adopted. This guy may be um, not quite legitimate, but he's closer to being legitimate than you are. Mm -hmm. And so they, in all likelihood, probably just instilled him into uh, the pharaoh position of pharaoh so here you have moses and his cousin and and tutmos the third is probably thinking now's my opportunity to get rid of this guy because he's, he may have an outside legitimate claim because his mother was in fact of the royal blood and she was pharaoh she was actually a co-regent with her uh, half-brother, uh, Thutmose II, but he died. She took over the reins. And then Thutmose III, after he was born, he was just a little kid, and she was technically a co-regent, but she shipped him off. So the path was clear for Moses. She dies. Thutmose III is now sitting on the throne, and he's thinking, now's my opportunity to get rid of this guy once and for all. I have a clear path to the throne. Moses got nothing. Man, and this uh, kills the Egyptian. These these power plays, they're just mm. they're just timeless, though. Yeah, right? really killing the Egyptian, right? That's killing the cop. Oh man, you just killed a cop, right? It's not even. Oh man, you know, there's no, you know, homicides. One thing, I man, you kill a cop, like you know, cop killer, like you're going to prison. They're gonna have you killed in like Gen Pop, like. Right. And then it's also, you know, well, you know, my my buddy's Pharaoh, you know, my, you know, my my best friend's dad or my uncle's a senator. And it's like, oh, well, hold on. You, your uncle's a senator. Maybe, you know, maybe something, something can be worked out. Or right? it's like, yeah, I know okay. he's the cop, but, you know, my father-in-law is the police chief, you know, maybe it was an accident. And it's Can you imagine had um, had this not been part of the divine plan from the beginning when God told Abraham that your descendants and so on, that Moses could have said, wait a minute, I'm the prince of Egypt. I'm technically next in line for Pharaoh. This guy was abusing, mistreating, etc. Do we not stand for justice? And Egypt actually had a pretty sophisticated system of justice. Really? Now, granted, he's a Hebrew slave, but I'm next in line for Pharaoh. Yeah. And could he go back and plead his case to the court? We don't know. I don't know, but then you get into the whole power plays. You know, what's the first thing you do? You know, what does any what does any good bloodthirsty communist do when they get in the power? Right, you purge your enemies, take out the next nearest threat. You know, so who knows? Maybe you go and make your appeal, and they're like, "Hey, man, this is next in line. Take out next in line. You know, take out anyone opposing you." So the 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 Moses reaction was the same as any reaction of any human being: fight or flight. Am I going to win this battle against this guy? He's um, a champion of the military. That's not likely. I'll see you. Yeah. At this point, Moses heads to Midian. Yeah. And um, it, it, this is where, um, you know, he spends the next 40 years tending sheep with his at his father-in-law's uh, sheep branch, if you will. And um, he marries a um, Midian uh, Midianite woman. Sapporo, and um, pretty soon he will go to Mount uh, Sinai or Mount Horab. Is five? There's four or five different names uh, for it, um, and he encounters God again. The timeless tale, right? Changing your name, 
going across a couple states, marrying a girl, marrying into the family, right? I uh, yeah. run the music store or whatever. Yeah, and it is a very prominent family too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, Jethro was his father-in-law's name, but he was he was a um, I, I believe he was described as a sheik of Midian. So he was pretty well off too, obviously because he had this huge flock that Moses was uh, uh, tending. So uh, he didn't do too badly from that standpoint, but still uh, having to leave his brethren and so on. And it's also, and this is this probably kind of seems a little out of left field, but again, it's just kind of how my mind works. There's got to be something intimidating about, you know, do I take on this power structure? Because it's also like, you know, a neat thing back then is like, you know, nice fitting shoes. And then all of a sudden, like the government power, they have pyramids. <laughs> like, and it's to, to think about, let's think about structures right now. Uh, Eiffel Tower, I think 1886. And then we have uh, Chrysler Tower in 1929, I think, Empire State Building in 31. And then we have the um, World Trade Center in 72, Sears Tower 74, Patronus Towers 96, I think, Taipei 101. After that, went to uh, the Burj Khalifa. So even now, like a long reign, like the Empire State Building is considered like the long reign of like, it held the world's tallest tower record mm-hmm. for like 40 years. That's considered like long. After that, it, it it gets chopped down to about 10 to 15 years per tower. Even now, the one in the middle in uh, Dubai, the Burj Khalifa is going to be surpassed by the Jeddah Kingdom Tower. And that one's not even finished building. And there's already a new one planned in Dubai called Dubai Creek Tower, which is the point of me saying all of that is the long reign is 40 years. The pyramids last, they were the tallest things for thousands of years. So I say that to say, even that, there is some weight behind where it's like, think of how alien those things and how intimidating those must have been, right? It's like living, sorry, I know I'm going on a rant, but it's like, imagine living in like a third world nation and then looking at the United States and it's like, you kind of understand the whole like propaganda importance of going to the moon. You're like, Am I going to live in this like third world communist enclave? You know, I barely have running water. That country's going to the moon. It's there's this shock and awe, if you will. So, being alive back then, there's just I, that's again. I know this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, but it's just I just look at something like the pyramids, and it's like that alone. No pun intended. This got to put the fear in God, fear of God in you, right? Sure. Sorry, no, I, and, that was a random rant. And Moses saw it all. Yeah. It wasn't something that wasn't, uh, and he knew the power of Egypt. He knew the grandeur of Egypt. He knew uh, militarily what Egypt could do. So for to him to go and stand in front of, um, let's just say, the um, honor graduate from West Point who is now sitting on the throne, and he's got all these military people around him and all the court officials. And Moses says, you know, that should be my, I'll tell you what, Moses, my guys are taking you out and they're killing you this afternoon. You may be dead before you leave the palace. Yeah. Yeah. Moses weighs his options. But, but once again, 
this is all part of the design mm-hmm. that, that God had set mm-hmm. into place. And I think that that's one of the most fascinating aspects to this for those of us that are believers sure. that, that believe that everything that we read here and archaeologically, um, when you go back and you look at the, the um, tombs and whatnot of these pharaohs, a lot of what we're talking about here is borne out. Real quickly, um, the uh, now I'll save that for the next one because it, it, it's kind of an interesting tease about why we do not hear about these pharaohs and and so on and so forth. But okay. um, well, we got we got another five minutes for everybody listening. Uh, Ken and I we're going to do these as a series of just hour long lectures because I think I mean even when I listen to stuff on YouTube, I know I start to tune out at, at about an hour. So I think it will be best to just do it and just well, we can do fifty snippets. I don't care, but. That being said, we've still got five more minutes before the hour, so why don't you leave a little teaser? Well, um, you, you stop to think about this, and Moses was being trained and all this, so why would he give up? Give all this up? And like we said, he saw his uh, Hebrew brethren being mistreated, and he kills the Egyptian. He flees to um, uh, Midian, becomes a uh, sheep herder at his father's flock and the father-in-law's flock. And it's at this point that um, he has this encounter with God. And you got to remember that um, Egypt was a uh, polytheistic society. They had something like uh, 84 to 100 primary gods. And God is going to take those gods on. Yahweh, our God, the Christian God, and, and even the Jewish God is going to take on those gods of Egypt. And when he takes those on, it, it, it's a polemic against these very ten, very ten specific gods that Egypt looked at. Mm-hmm. And the very last one was Ra, mm-hmm. which was the Pharaoh, was the incarnation or the embodiment of the Egyptian sun god. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is where it gets uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I remember from the Disney movie, The Prince of Egypt. And the, I don't know if you ever watched that, but I oh yeah, I had to watch it in like middle school and high school actually. But um, yeah, it's it's not it's not going to make sense. But there's this like whole musical score scene where it's like the the uh, the pharaohs like priestesses or priests are trying to intimidate Moses, and the whole thing is like uh, the power of Ra. That's kind of like the that's kind of like the refrain, it's like the power of Ra. And it's supposed to intimidate him, and then Moses isn't intimidated. It's actually a pretty cool scene for a Disney movie. It's actually pretty badass. But, Never seen it. Yeah. Never seen it. It's actually a pretty solid. I don't think I've watched it probably in 10 plus years, but it's actually a classic. I think you would enjoy it. The Prince of Egypt. Is, is it a cartoon type animated thing? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching it in like fifth grade, but it's it's pretty solid for for uh, for uh, for an animated Disney movie. It still holds up. I'm 30. I'd watch it. I think you'd enjoy it. I think you'd actually enjoy it considering, I mean, your passion in this subject. Well, my wife hates it when we watch something like that. They're going to take them apart. But yeah, I mean, sure. But I mean, this is a classic. I mean, I remember watching this in like, I think late 90s. This is a, this is a classic. And, and it's called what? The Prince of Egypt. I'll, I'll have to make a... Yeah, it, it's... I really like... I mean, they showed it to us in, you know, Catholic middle school and high school. So, I mean, I guess it passed the test of the priests, so... I think you'd like it. I think it's good. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see. We don't have cable TV. I got rid of all that nonsense, and uh, I'll see if on our 
the way we have our uh, internet, however the world I'm is. Sure, I'm sure you can find it somewhere. It's an old movie. I don't think anyone's uh, tracking down the privacy or the yeah the copyright uses of it. I think they've yeah. milked all the cash out of it. I think it's dead in the water now. It's solid, though. I think it's, you'd like it. It's Disney, so it's it's never. I was about to know. say, actually, yeah, you're right. It's Disney, but they're still they're still you know they're still enforcing copyright laws with SWAT teams for like shit like Steamboat Willie, which was created and, in like the late twenties. Sounds like Don Henley and the Eagles, you know. Yeah. Thirty four years ago, we had a song. Well, if I don't get paid something for that, how much money do you need, Don? Yeah. Right. How, much, how, how rich is rich? Yeah. Yeah, but then again, I don't know if I was on the receiving side of those royalties. <laughs> I might be the same way. I might be like, uh uh-uh, uh, give me that cash. Well, there's also a little bit of ego involved in some of that sure. stuff. Sure. And then he read back to Moses thing oh, yeah. when he uh the stage is being set for this grand polemic of uh between God, Yahweh, and the various gods of Egypt. Okay. And um it, it's um really interesting when you see because when you read through scripture you don't realize because scripture doesn't point it out and that's not the point of the story um in in exodus it's that each one of these gods or each one of these plagues is directed at a specific god mm-hmm. and and god is unraveling the egyptian culture and i'll leave your viewers with the with the term it's ma'at m-a um hyphen i'm sorry m-a apostrophe a-t ma'at and and that is Pharaoh's job to keep the universe spinning, if you will. And if he does do that, then Ra is upset. So that's his thing to keep everything going. And God is getting ready to unravel all of this. Okay. So the CEO has to keep the company running. And if he doesn't, the CEO at Disney has to keep it running. If he doesn't, Walt's going to wake up from the grave and be like, yo, what's going on? That's right. Why isn't the company chugging along? That's okay. right. I'd never heard that term. So, okay. That was a good teaser. It worked on me. Well, Great. Ken, thank you, sir. Um, right now, as I said, it's snowing. I still have an episode from yesterday that is still uploading. It's been uploading for like 10. The internet is going to a crawl. I think there must have been like a wire sn- like slash somewhere. And I did two episodes this morning. So this is number three of today. That being said, so this is on Sunday. It should be uploaded by tomorrow but it's it's number four in a queue right now of episodes that are just going up at like just a drop a minute just so slow so if you don't see it up immediately that's why is there's a queue of several videos that are being uploaded so this is episode 336 i think right now 333 is still uploading so just fyi if you don't see it that's why but it'll, right. it'll be up sometime tomorrow all right ken until next time thank you brother you're welcome. I'll see you again. Take care. God bless.